Hello and welcome to the latest in our series of Beyond Brexit podcasts. I'm Emily Kahn. Well, here we are at the end of March 2019, a date that's been clear in our sights since Article 50 was triggered two years ago. Now, as engrossed as we all are with the political twists and turns, I'd like to take the opportunity in this episode to pause and take stock and look at Brexit from a bit of a different angle. I'm joined today by my colleague Matt Alabaster, partner in our strategy and practice, who spends most days helping global businesses to find their strategies for growth and entering new markets. He's also our relationship partner for the Department for International Trade, you could say a champion of UK PLC. Matt has been leading some thinking we're doing here about life beyond Brexit, as it were, and the things that Brexit or no Brexit, deal or no deal, are already changing. Matt, thank you for joining me. Emily, it's a pleasure to be here. So start us off. Give us a taste of the kind of changes that, that you've got front of mind. Well, for starters, I completely agree with what you said at the beginning. It is all too easy, isn't it, at the moment to get subsumed with the hullabaloo that's going on in Westminster about how and when the UK will be exiting the European Union. So it's refreshing to think a little bit longer term. Yeah, absolutely. I have a sense that if you tune out some of the noise, you'll see that the business environment is changing and has changed since the Brexit process began. More than three years of debate in the media, around the board table, probably around the dinner table, has changed some aspects of, our, of the mm-hmm. business world for good. Okay. The most obvious of these would probably be trade. Uh, trade, exports, uh, the rules that govern that and the importance of exports to the wealth of the UK have burst into our collective consciousness like never before. Yeah. The UK has been running a trade deficit for over 20 years, but until the referendum, it never got mainstream attention. And how many of us were paying attention uh, in 2009 uh, when the EU started negotiating a trade deal with Canada or in 2013 when it did the same with Japan? No, true. Trade now is front page news. Uh, There's almost a frisson of excitement about it. (laughs) June 2016 saw the highest number of searches for trade deficit on the internet for over 10 years. We now have a department for international trade that we haven't had before. We're seeking free trade agreements with countries on our own terms. Uh, We all have a view on what terms of trade we would like to see with the European Union and about export opportunities further afield. We can all hold an argument now about the merits of Canada Plus or Norway Plus, like someone who spent an afternoon watching curling at the Winter Olympics. Yeah, right, okay. We're all experts now. So trade is curling. Um, Well, I I recognise exactly what you say there. If you think back, cast your mind back, Matt, to when we established here at PwC the trade and investment hive, I suppose almost three years ago now, and um, absolutely round the table in the in the early days with the trade policy wonks. But now this is a mainstream topic of conversation. It certainly is. So the question then is, when the Winter Olympics have finished, will we forget everything that we've learned, or will? our newfound engagement with trade help us make a step change in our exports. Because if you think about this concept of export culture, in the past, some of my clients have uh, disparagingly compared the UK's export culture with that of, for example, uh, Germany, believing that exports rank higher up the kind of list of priorities for a typical Mm -hmm. German business than they do in the UK. So if this greater engagement and knowledge and awareness of the trade agenda develops into a cultural shift 
even fractionally in favour of exports, then our economy could be in for a real shot in the arm. Right, OK. So trade, and doesn't surprise me that trade and exports features front of mind for you, Matt, given, given what you do most days. What else is out there on the radar as kind of the beginnings of a change? So second, uh, and maybe a little bit of a counterpoint to the exports point, I think there's, a, there's an increasing awareness amongst consumers about where the products they buy come from. Uh, and businesses starting to play the kind of local identity card, the place card, uh, if you will, in their advertising. I mean, recently we've seen an advertising campaign uh, for a global company which has different uh, messages in, the, in London compared to Manchester to compared to Birmingham, for right, example. Yeah. Um, so this shift in consumer behaviour is already being picked up on um, by some leading businesses. Absolutely. And I suppose that's to some extent sort of patriotism coming through in consumer behaviours to some extent linked to Brexit. Exactly. We've talked, you and I, a lot about the kind of relationship between government and business um, throughout the Brexit process. Do you see any changes on, on that front starting to come through already? Oh, I absolutely do. I think the relationship between government and business has changed. Um, so if I cast my mind back in 2009, I helped to write a study called The Future of UK Manufacturing. And one of the questions I asked our manufacturing clients at the time was, what do you want government to do to help you? And the answer was a resounding, leave us alone. Oh, really? But I think, I think we might get a different answer to that question now. Uh, Brexit has made businesses more engaged in politics and has made the government more engaged in business. And we are, so we are perhaps at the start of maybe a more symbiotic relationship between these two important parts of our mm, economy. Absolutely. And if, um, if I think about the Export Insights survey that we did, I guess about two years ago now, actually it's quite different from the example that you just mentioned. Businesses of all shapes and sizes were quite clear on how they felt government could help them with entering new markets, which goes back to your earlier point around kind of export ambition and culture exactly. somewhat. So let's, let's talk about this symbiotic relationship you just mentioned a bit more. How, how do you see that working in practice? Well, I think in, uh, in 2016, um, the first industrial strategy in living memory was published. And that industrial strategy declared a new active role for government in working with the private sector. Mm -hmm. And since then, uh, we've had sector deals, and we've had an export strategy, and we've had numerous business engagement programmes from across a range of different government departments. Uh, so I think over the last three years, we've seen uh, maybe an acknowledgement that the government uh, and the private sector are, uh, are partners in, if you like, uh, the mission to develop our economy and export more. Right, OK. Um, you just mentioned the industrial strategy there, and I know that's something that, that a lot of people that I speak to feel has got a bit lost in the Brexit noise. Um, how would you suggest we could kind of reawaken that and move forward on, on with some of the building blocks that were put in place by, by that strategy? We are not the only country to think that exporting more might be a good idea. Yeah, agree. So out in export markets, competition is fiercer than ever. And in fact, many overseas governments are also trying to reduce their reliance on imports. So what that means is trade and politics are increasingly linked. And as a result, government support is critical to connect, promote and finance UK suppliers in their chosen markets. Okay. I spent a few years in the Middle East. Uh, and I remember one of my clients saying that they competed with 63 different construction companies from around the world just in that one market. Gosh. 
which just goes to show that uh, in order to access some of these markets, you have to be better, you have to be stronger, you have to be better connected, you have to have better capabilities. Uh, and I think in that connection and that promotion side of things, the UK government in certain sectors has a really important role to play. Right, okay. We, the industrial strategy itself, and I know you and I have talked about where that focus, so if, if government's gonna support business, where does it focus um, to maximize the opportunity for, for UK PLC? What would your thoughts be around around that? Well, I think uh, one of the concepts within the industrial strategy was around the grand challenges. Mm. Uh, and these are four big themes that uh, we are facing, not only as a UK economy, but frankly, as a world economy. They are around uh, an aging population. They're around the future of mobility. They're around a low energy economy and they're around artificial intelligence and data. And those are three really great themes to get united behind. Uh, and if there is a way of us developing greater depth of capability in those, in those themes, all of which lend themselves to UK capabilities, UK industry, UK skills, then that's a really good platform to grow right. on. Right, okay. Now we started this conversation um, with the framing that some things had already changed. And, and certainly from my perspective, one of the things that's changed is that we're very uh, focused on the UK. We kind of our horizons have narrowed to you know what's happening in in Westminster, even let alone across the whole of the UK. So let's just look more broadly for a minute. Kind of what's what's perhaps changed globally in the time that we have been negotiating our exit from the EU that changes the backdrop to how we take forward some of these things. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? If you have more and more interesting news flow at home, you take less and less attention of the news flow that comes from other countries, Absolutely, don't you? Yeah. Um, so let's not forget that the US and China are locked in their own conversations about the future of their trading relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and, tr and China is an enormous economy, as, as we all know. Um, so yes, when the hullabaloo dies down, one of the big questions is, will leaving the European Union offer us an opportunity to forge closer relationships with economies like China? Uh, potentially, if economies like the US are stepping away from some of those, uh, some of those relationships themselves. Yeah. So that would be, definitely be a theme. Okay. Uh, I would think there's another one about uh, the nature of global supply chains. So again, haven't we learned a lot about just-in-time supply chains? Uh, haven't we learned a lot about um, supply chains that maybe don't make a lot of common sense? You know, we send fish to China for filleting before they send it back for processing into fish fingers. So uh, in, in, our, in, the, in the ever increasing drive towards globalization that we have seen over the last 20 years, what's made economic sense hasn't necessarily made common yeah. sense or certainly not environmental sense. So is there a debate to be had about what supply chains we think we want to support? Uh, Absolutely. And I suppose in that context, you know, we have we see here UK businesses and many EU businesses having the best understanding of their supply chains than they've had, you know, for a decade through the work they've been doing in preparing for Brexit to build on. Exactly. And we've, we've helped businesses analyse their supply chains in ways that they probably hadn't thought about doing before in order for them to be equipped for different trading rules uh, with different countries. They know more about it than ever. Absolutely. And clearly a very important debate. And as you allude to there, some careful balancing between different priorities around the aid and trade agendas. Um, we're almost out of time here, Matt. I suppose I just, just want to play back to you the sense that I'm getting from you that 
you know, this is this is complex and we're going to need to work hard together across sector and between business and government. But I do feel a sense of of optimism in what we could achieve in in the global economy and environment if we were able to do that. Is that fair? So it is complex and it can't really be summarised in a sort of a simple thumbs up or thumbs down. But certainly with change comes opportunity. And I think there's an opportunity for government and business maybe to jointly revisit and revitalise components of the industrial strategy. Um, I think there is an opportunity for people at the top of UK companies to push exporting up their list of priorities. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's an opportunity for the government maybe to become more active and perhaps even more partisan overseas in helping them succeed. Uh, and what I, what I would probably leave you with is trade is just as much about hearts and minds as it is about tariffs. And if that, if we can have a shift in our export culture, both within the private sector and indeed within the government departments that support that, I think we could be in for a really interesting ride. Well, thank you very much, Matt. I've really enjoyed the chance to look beyond the immediate horizon and think about some of these broader opportunities ahead of us. Listeners, thank you all for joining us. This is just a taster of our views and there will no doubt be other changes and other points of view in this debate and we look forward to hearing them. You'll be able to find more insights on this theme on our website pwc.co.uk forward slash Brexit later in the spring. That's all for today. Bye for now.